Hey, Snohomish County, welcome back to the podcast. A little bit different today, different topic, but important topic. Um, we have a, a, one of the nation's foremost expert on everything to do with uh, fentanyl, methamphetamine. Um, I want to get right to the introduction and then, then we'll get into it. Uh, but this, is, this topic is probably the biggest question I get asked when I'm out in the community. So we wanted to bring in Sam. Uh, you were brought here from uh, the Nashville area today by the Snohomish Regional Drug Task Force. Right. So we did a presentation this morning. Right. Um, great job, by the Thank way. Um, I learned a ton. Um, we're doing both some good stuff, I think, in Snohomish County based on what you said. And I think there's areas we can improve, which is always, yeah. always the case. Um, but we are interested in what you have to say. Um, so Thank great, you. great job this morning. And then Sam, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and things like that. And then we'll pick it up from there. Sure. My name is Sam Kenyonis. I'm a journalist, author, working in journalism 35 years. I've uh, worked 10 years at the LA Times, 10 years before that, living in Mexico as a freelance writer. Um, I've written two books, most recently about the opioid epidemic, starting with my book Dreamland, which is about overprescribing of prescription pain pills and how that addicted a lot of people nationwide, and a subset of those folks transitioned to heroin, which was then provided by the Mexican trafficking world as they figured out what we were doing up here. And then the second book, The Least of Us, uh, is about, um, well, it's about a lot of things, but partly it's about the, the evolution of the Mexican trafficking world into synthetic drugs, meaning drugs that are made without any plants, just pure chemicals, and, the main, and all that that changes. And, and the main ones, uh, of course, are methamphetamine and fentanyl, which are now nationwide. It's an unprecedented thing to see two drugs from one source cover the country, not just cover the country, but, you know, be cheaper than we've ever seen. It's a remarkable uh, transition. And so you get the same stories happening in Everett, Washington, or happening in Oklahoma, or North Carolina, or Tennessee, or L.A., or wherever. It's this kind of homogenization of drug use, really. And we're, we're all seeing that everywhere. And even yeah. in, our, in our own county, we have urban parts of the county than very rural parts of the county. It's every, it doesn't matter what part. It's exactly. Same with the country. I think matter. that's what's happening across the country. You used to have very different stories, region to region to region. And you don't. I spoke to a conference of federal judges, and they were uh, uh, from Michigan down to Kentucky. So north-south kind of district of federal judges. And I, I would... I spoke to maybe 20, 30 of them, and they're all, what's your issue? Well, methamphetamine and fentanyl. How about you? Fentanyl and methamphetamine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the same thing. You don't see any more meth cooks. That was from another era. Those guys don't. They goes, those guys got outcompeted by the Mexican traffickers who have access to very, very cheap ingredient chemicals coming in through the ports. So they can now make these drugs much more cheaply and smuggle them through the border, which is a border between two countries that have free trade. Free trade is means that you really do have like a lot of trucks moving back. You can't really, you literally cannot tra uh, uh, t uh, 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 search those, those trucks because if you did, you would do enormous damage to the economies of both the United States. You can't do more than like a few percent of the, yeah. the number of trucks coming over. So yeah, it's all and part of our world today. 
Absolutely. And then uh, one of the things that we were talking about a couple hours ago is that uh, you mentioned these different points in history. You just mentioned meth labs. And we as cops, you know, that was your audience, some of your audience today, not not completely. Um, and we're like, I lived through that time. I lived through that time as, mm-hmm. as you were talking. But uh, that, that was interesting. And one thing I really like about you and your presentation is during the Q&A period after you got you got some really good questions. Yeah. And you're like, this, this is kind of my story. This is from my years of, of investigative journalism, and I don't change my story or what I'm presenting based on where I'm at in the country or the audience. Not so, too much. I, it, basically, it has to do with what I've seen, the interviews I've done, where I've been, who I've talk, spoken to, and the conclusions that over many, many, many interviews and many years yeah. of doing this or just seem very clear to me, so yes, it doesn't really matter. Could speak to law enforcement as I've done, um, groups of doctors, judges. It's pretty much going to be the same story because the story is kind of the same. We're yeah. faced with relentless supplies of extraordinarily potent, cheap chem- drugs made from chemicals, and those drugs are unforgiving. They they don't allow for wide latitude. It's a, it's an amazing thing, but it's almost like we kind of wish we could go back to the days when heroin was the problem. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy no, it very that. much is. And so I want to dive into that a little bit now. And yeah. so a, a little bit about where we're at today. Now, sure. and I heard you talk about this this morning, and I really liked what you said is you did, I think you said podcast, it might have been some other interview, and you spent 47 minutes talking about where we're at and how it's just the fentanyl crisis. It's, it's sad. It's tragic. And then you spent three minutes talking about community and hope. Well, I'm a big hope and community guy, so right. I don't want to I don't want to replicate okay. that for you today. Fine, fine. I really, but, but I do think it's important we set it up for the audience for the sure. community that's watching. Sure. Describe the difference. You just mentioned the difference between like heroin versus the the synthetic or yeah, drugs fentanyl, made from chemicals. Fentanyl. Today. It's important to understand. Fentanyl is a magnificent drug. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic drug surgically. In fact, for years it's been really used almost exclusively in surgery. It's a wonderful drug used by anesthetic anesthesiologists who have used it like a workhorse, particularly for cardiac surgery, stuff like that, because it gets you in and out of anesthesia very quickly. Paramedics have used it for years. There's really, when used properly in the medical environment, it's, there's a, it's, it's not a bad drug. It's a great drug, revolutionary drug in, in some ways. The problem is when it gets into the hands of the drug trafficking world, who are all about profit motive, understand the enormous potency that makes that such a good drug, um, and also understand something very important, that if it gets you in and out very quickly, that means that you can sell to an addict fentanyl over and over and over, far more than you ever sold them heroin. They buy, they have to use four, five, six times a day sometimes, whereas with heroin they might use two, maybe three if they have some money. And so fentanyl has become this drug that is a no-brainer from a trafficker's perspective. You make it very easily, it's very cheap, unbelievably profitable, very easy to smuggle. I mean, it's got all these benefits to a trafficker that they have little by little figured out that this is a a masterful drug to sell if you're a drug trafficker. Of course, it wreaks all kinds of uh, damage and devastation on towns and counties and tribes and various other entities all across the country. But it was invented in 1960. It's been a magnificent drug until it got into the hands, really, of the drug underworld to figure out how to make it. Now down in Mexico, there's wide knowledge of how to make this stuff. Huge amounts of people making it. 
because they have enormous uh, uh, access to chemicals okay. coming through the ports from China, from probably from India, from other places. So one of the things we did this morning was saw a video of people that were uh, taking taking the drug. Mm-hmm. Um, very impactful. Sad to see. It is. Yeah, I'll, get, sure. I'll say it again. It's tragic. Um, but can you describe kind of the differences between what we've seen in past history with heroin or other yeah. opioids and what we're seeing with the with the uh, synthetic fentanyl today? How how does it impact a human being? Because I think part of our community. Um, there are portions of our community where you can drive around and you can see that you just can't. It's yeah. like I said, and we'll get to some solutions and hope in a little bit. But what what does it do to a human being? What does it do to their uh, neurological cycle? Things like I, that. I think what it what it does is very similar to what heroin does, except for on a much more graduated way, a much more intense uh, way. It takes your your tolerance up to much much higher. Uh, which it can do if you use. I mean, all opioids work on the tolerance idea. You 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 can use, and you need then you need more, and then you need more, and eventually you're up to. And so you see people using ungodly amounts of the stuff. Um, still, though, there is no such thing as a long-term fentanyl addict on the street. They all die. Unlike heroin, I saw I've known people to use heroin 30, 40 years. Wow. They haven't died. With fentanyl, I think it's quite a bit different. You you have people who are who are. Um, and the reason is, I think one reason for that is there is no good way to mix this stuff. This is a drug, the profit involved in fentanyl is, is only, you can only extract that profit when you mix it as a dealer or as a trafficker. Okay. Mainly it's the lower level dealers. And they, so they, because it's so potent, only a few grains of fentanyl will get you high. A couple more will kill you. So you have to mix that with some other inert powder. But the problem is they don't know how. They're very bad at this, or it's widely varying. And so you get all these people with all these different mixes, and a lot of this stuff, doesn't matter what your tolerance is, you get a bad, bad mix, you can very quickly quickly die. But the effect is very much like an opioid. It kind of lends you to kind mm-hmm. of nodding, nodding. Um, a lot of times with, with fentanyl, you see people kind of standing, almost like a statue, yeah. you know, in a, in a way that, or, or kind of barely moving and this kind of thing. Um, I was on the streets of San Francisco a little bit ago, about a month or two ago, and that was what was going on. It was just like remarkable to see these people kind of like just out, just out, like, you know, sleeping on the streets and this kind of thing. And, and, and it's just, it all has to do with the fact that this is an opioid, but the most powerful opioid we've ever known. And that's saying something, considering heroin was the other one, and the pain pills too. So all of this is kind of kind of combines. It's, it, it has, in my opinion, everything to do with supply. You know, this is a case of supply creating demand. People, wow. a heroin addict, many heroin addicts told me that nobody ever wants to be addicted to fentanyl. You know, if, but you get transitioned to it. I was speaking with a guy in Maine. This fellow was telling me, I used to use twice a, month, a day. And, you know, it was not a good life. It was certainly not a good life, but it was kind of managing it. And then we were transitioned, essentially, to fentanyl. There wasn't any heroin to buy. It was all, all about fentanyl in it. And so we didn't have any choice. We had to buy fentanyl uh, because we definitely weren't able to go through withdrawals, and, and et cetera. Anyway, <clears throat> so now he has to buy six times a day, wow. five, six times a day, depending. And, and all of that is is. Because, again, this is about supply creating demand. No heroin ever addict ever. The high isn't as good. The withdrawals are beastly. Really, even compared to heroin, which are bad enough. 
and 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 it's it's it, it, it's just not it's like you always have the the beast right at your back and you've got to be using all the time down in tucson i've talked with some drug counselors and addicts down there and they're they, they got you know they're using 50 to 100 pain counterfeit pills containing fentanyl a day I mean, that's like you're never away from this. And that's the problem with fentanyl. You are never really far away from the withdrawals. That's what makes it this beast of a drug that heroin is bad enough, but it was not that. It was not like fentanyl. So way. does that what you just said about being so bad and it never leaves, like you said? You always got to be keeping it away, keeping the beast at the door kind of. You and, know? and does that translate into some of, we'll just call them like the homeless encampments that set up. And like in Snohomish County, we have, we've had outreach teams for over a decade, yeah. teamed with social workers. And we should be doing that. I think that's a good thing. Um, but they're repeatedly told no, no to services, no to help. And I heard you talk about that. that yes, and I think morning. that that's, I would say that both of these synthetic drugs, I would say, first of all, let me put it this way. All drugs of abuse do a pretty good job of squelching our sure. instincts for self-preservation, yep. our instincts for survival that we all of us, every animal, in fact, possesses uh, is essential to our survival and all that. Um, but with people on, on, on these drugs, and you can see it with alcoholics and the Skid Row or the Bowery when I was a kid, I saw this, you know, people living out in the elements and so on, all pursuing alcohol. All drugs would be do that. It, it, the, the effectiveness of which, by which they do that depends on their prevalence, how easy it is to get supply and how cheap and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And alcohol is a perfect example of that. But methamphetamine and fentanyl coming in in the enormous supplies in which they've come in, low price, Ease of access. Again, no friction to use. It's very easy to use these things for a variety of reasons. Um, and they tend to, um, I think, create that idea where you the last thing you want to do is think of yourself as getting away from the drug that is dominating your life, making sure that you feel absolutely tied to it. It's really a beast. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to watch people when the temperatures drop to lethal yeah. levels, say, no, I'm fine here. Oh, you're being pimped out. You're being beaten. Your, your boyfriend smacks you around every third day, you know. Um, no, I'm, 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 I'm fine, you know. Well, it, 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 it's a display case. I think a lot of the tent encampments where that goes on, where you can't find people to say yes to any help, yeah. even though they're living in these kinds of conditions, in utterly traumatic conditions, um, uh, to say yes to help, it, it's it's it's... A lot of times it's because they are terrified of being away from the drugs. The drugs of who are who they become or it's how they feel part of something. This, these encampments are, are like that. Even though we know that a big driver of, of addiction is trauma, they still won't leave the street. Even though the street is a major factory, basically, of trauma. You're being beaten. You're being abused. You're being raped, pimped all kinds of things, robbed, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on and on and on and still, you know, and then living in cold or, or in decent hot weather as well. All of this is kind of part of what creates, in my opinion, the, the encampments. And obviously, I'm sorry, COVID had a lot to do with sure. that as well. You've got yeah. that, but they, they were already there. Mm -hmm. Certainly in, in towns I'm most aware of in L.A., in even small towns in, in, uh, in the Midwest. 
I'm, I'm aware of, of large homeless problems that didn't exist before the, the methamphetamine came in, for example. So these two drugs combine to really help create but also help sustain those, those, those encampments. And, um, and then that's where you get people saying no to help. Or if they do say yes to help, you catch them on a good day. Three days later, five days later, they're right back because they can't handle the, the cravings and, the, and, and being without Totally agree, and we're seeing it every day in, in Snohomish County as well. Yeah. So it's and it's what again, it's what you're seeing all over yeah. the country. You, this is not part of like Seattle only or LA right. only. I've seen it in rural Indiana, yeah, right, rural Rust Belt, West Virginia, mm-hmm. you know, rural New Mexico. It's not like this is some part of of a, a homeless problem. It, it, again, it gets to this whole idea of what causes homelessness, the idea of affordable housing. It's an important part of, of, a, of it, I suspect, but you don't have a, problems with affordable housing in rural West Virginia, you know what I mean? Or in rural Indiana or any places like that. Okay, so you answered this question this morning and I told you I was going to ask it again. So this sure. morning you were asked, I'm going to ask, um, is, is housing first, we all want people to have housing. We, we all yeah. do. But is it a solution at all to this uh, drug use epidemic that we're, that we're facing Here's right the now? thing. I don't believe that housing first, the way it's currently practiced, is a, is, is a solution to folks who are, whose main issue is mental illness okay. slash drug addiction slash connected to all of that, yep. the trauma that's going on on the street. Now, it may well be, in fact a wonderful solution for people who have lost their house due to some economic issue. And what they really need more than anything to get back on their feet is, is a house. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I suspect that that is not most of the folks you're seeing in tent encampments. Or if it was at one point, by now they're using the very, very prevalent, very cheap synthetic drugs that are out there. And that is part of their issue now regardless of why initially they got in. Yep. The, the, the idea, though, that you can then take people from a tent encampment or someplace on the street, a doorway, yep. and put that person who may have issues with, again, horrible trauma that we can't begin to imagine, you only get to if you really get to know that person, uh, mental illness and drug addiction to these drugs in particular, and put them without any services, really, without any much attention to what they do, and offer them services in a kind of a vague way to say, yeah, this is what we're offering. It's up to you whether you want them or not. Whether you know, Those folks, I think, are not at all helped by Housing First. Housing First would be, the, the permanent support of housing would be the end game. Absolutely. You start in oh, jail, yeah. arrest, a long period of detox and then recovery in jail. And we were talked, I talked earlier today about the importance I thought felt of, of finding, of starting recovery pods in jail. It's being done in, in, in counties in the Midwest very effectively, I think. Not a panacea, but it's still effectively. And then you, you know, months of that, then out to transitional housing on the outside, maybe a couple of forms of that. And then finally, finally, permanent supportive housing is a great idea after that continuum of care has been taken advantage of. But the idea of taking a person right off the street and putting them in a house and saying, go for it, you now, you now have your own house. Well, this is not a person who is in position to do any, you know, to, to comply with the responsibilities or, or uh, accountability of, of having a house, accountability to neighbors, not screaming at three in the morning, not, t- not allowing drug dealers to move into their houses. You know, this happens. 
And I, I think that the idea of, about housing first works for some people. But again, when you're talking about something, as I believe a lot of homelessness is, that has to do with the central nervous system, our brains, the brain chemistry, you say one tool to address all of that, you are going to get into trouble. We already tried that with the opioids. We said, let's solve pain. Pain comes from our central nervous system. Let's solve all American pain. How are we going to do that? With one tool, you know, oh, what a miraculous day. What was the tool? Opioid painkillers. We saw where that led us, led us and we're still living with the consequences. You cannot deal with, the, with stuff that, emerge, that emanates from the central nervous system with one tool only, it seems to me. It's, a, it's, it's just counterproductive and, and, and I think almost delusional at, at times, it, it has felt to me. Um, not to say there's not a role for that. It's mm -hmm. just that, that, and for some people, it's very helpful. But there's more to it. It's a much more complicated thing. than We're just going to take you from the tent and put you right into a house, and we'll see how you do. Some people may function, yeah, but I think a lot of people do not, and we need to keep that in mind. So you mentioned something very important to me. You mentioned jail yeah. um, in the form of, of well, what, what we all hope is someone getting help. What we face here in Western Washington, and I'm, this is going to be an oversimplification, but bear with me here, it is uh, people who don't think anybody that are addicted to substances should be locked up in jail. Yeah. They, we actually legalized drugs two years ago, which is crazy in itself. Um, but, and then there's the other part where accountability jail, if, if you will, can be at least a, a portion of someone's road to getting help. Um, yeah. And then we talked about what, what fentanyl they're using five, six times a day, what that does to their mindset. They aren't going to say, yes, I want help. They're just not why they're in that mindset. Sure. So this is the key thing. I have advocated for this. And to hear you say this this morning was truly important to me. Can jail be part of someone's success in life? I mean, sure. it, I mean, it completely depends on where they're at, what jail they're in, and if there's programs there to help them. But can you explain that? For I don't want it to come from me. I want it to come from, come well, I think, from I someone think else. Well, I think, first of all, in my experience as a reporter, I have interviewed, I don't know how many people, too many people to ignore, okay. who told me even when jail was a place where they just dump you and it's like a perfect manifestation of the throw away the key idea, even there is an important uh, place for recovery. I've met so many people who said the best day of my life when I got arrested because that was when my, my, uh, my, I, I, I date my sobriety from that very, very day. They used it that way. Now, there's a lot of people who cannot use jail that way or has not been very effective. And sometimes, frequently, I would say, um, in, in America, our jails are set up so the jails can be, the jail experience can be traumatizing, sure. can be life mangling. We need not, to, need not we should not um, uh, uh, de-emphasize that because I think it's very, very important. But the idea that nobody should ever go to, go to jail for possessing drugs means that they, those folks have not taken into account, in my opinion, the drugs on the street and how quickly those drugs will, in meth's case, drive you mad, irrational, out of your mind, and so on, and in fentanyl's case, kill you. So the longer you are on the street, the more chance you have of meth driving you mad and fentanyl killing you. And there's really no such thing as a long-term fentanyl user on the street anymore. You didn't say that for heroin. Heroin is people have used for decades. But fentanyl is very, very different, and it has to do with the synthetic nature, how it's mixed, et cetera, et cetera, we t just talked about. So I, I believe that this is an idea, decriminalizing sales of fentanyl, for example. Uh, you know, um, in, 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 in uh, Colorado, they just changed that. It used to be that you couldn't, 
you, a misdemeanor was selling anything containing fentanyl up to four grams. And I was like, that's just in, insane. That's crazy. That's, selling something with fentanyl in it is the same thing, in my opinion, tantamount to firing a gun into a crowd. There's wow. n- no chance that you're not going to hurt somebody. And you may well kill somebody. Oh, yeah. Right? And so treating it as like, well, we don't want drug users to go to jail. The truth is what we need to do, it seems to me, and I think this is what my reporting has very clearly shown, is that we need to use jail as a place of recovery. Oh, yeah. And that is happening now in many counties, particularly in the Midwest, where they've had long, long exposure to the opioid problem. They know. And these these are areas that are extraordinarily conservative, but they are seeing that they have to change. And they are changing in remarkable Remarkable ways, I, th- I think, in areas where, where you have um, uh, a whole jail protocol. So you're, you detox, then you can opt into one of these pods. And these pods, you make your bed every morning, 8 o'clock. You're then in class time. You're not watching TV and comparing crime stories mm-hmm. with your buddies. You are in uh, classes all day long, criminal addictive thinking, anger management, parenting, et cetera, et cetera, all these kinds of things, GED classes um, as well. Then you have... A uh, uh, 12-step meetings run by inmates. You, some of these, in, these, the 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 the, the uh, county that I wrote about in my latest book, The Least of Us, Kenton County, they're finding that these pods are the cleanest, meaning that inmates do the cleaning, but also there's fewer drugs and fewer weapons that they find on a monthly basis than in any other pod. So it's really it's like an environment of recovery. It's beginning. The benefit of jail, if you do that is that it, it means that sh- those folks cannot leave when the dope demands that they do so. So you get that blessed, I believe it to be a blessed respite from drugs. You know, you're, you're, for a year, for months, you're here with the dope. You can't escape it. And all of a sudden, you're given that respite. Little by little, that's when the readiness is developed and nourished. Not on the street where you can't move without being confronting dope. So now you have this moment where you can move away from it. And then what you begin to find is that people then come to readiness, right? But they're not going to do that on on the street. They're going to die on the street. So I don't believe that people who who make this argument that nobody should ever go to prison for jail for drugs, I, I don't think they've properly taken into account how the drugs on the street have changed even jail the way it's traditionally done and i i think it's it's generally not done well in america in some places it's done awfully bad um but even there it can be a better option than being on the street however when if we try to understand that this is a great moment because think about a person who comes to jail months on the street completely faced you know accompanied everywhere by the dope that has transformed her you know, her instinct for self-preservation completely. And then all of a sudden she comes to and detoxes. All of a sudden, little bit by little bit, she understands all the damage she's done to her life. Yes. Kids won't talk to her. Mom won't call her, you know, take her, collect phone calls from jail, on and on. You know, dad and mom have separated over this, you know, that kind of thing. It's horrible stories like that. All of a sudden you've got this moment. And for the longest time in American jails, we just treated that as not important. And those folks kind of we put them in a in a jail setting where they're predatory it's mostly it's boring and beyond words there's nothing to do you know and and it's and you get out and it takes she gets out and she gets right back into it now you've got a jail set up with recovery pods so you can take advantage of that moment of clarity and not just say okay well 
you know, we'll let you out in six months. It's a fascinating thing because it's also jail for the first time taking into consideration what happens to the person after, after she leaves, yeah. which is a radical idea for the United States. No one, jails just typically did not care mm-hmm. what happened to you. That was beyond their purview, you know. And so to me, this is, um, a, a, it's a, it's an idea that I think is very, very important to take into consideration to see how other play, people or places are doing it. Um, because, again, we talked about it earlier, but the stories are all the same. It's the fentanyl and meth everywhere. And so, and these are drugs that unlike, believe it or not, unlike heroin, unlike cocaine, they are just simply unforgiving. They don't forgive when you make them, you know. And so we need to keep that in mind as well, it seems to me. Yeah, that's that's really good. So just a quick report to the community, and I want you to know we are doing some of this in Snohomish County. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can do better, and, and you really spurred that conversation this morning. Um, we have, you you mentioned that they're pods, recovery pods. We call them modules in Snohomish County. We have mm-hmm. them, but your experience has been our experience in the last few years that I've been in this seat in that they are these uh, modules where they're recovering, are the best behaved modules we have at the Snohomish County yeah, Jail. Cleanest. So it's exactly what you just said. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so one thing I want to touch on that, one more thing on that, is you described very well about what it means to people when they come in, they start thinking a little bit more clear, they're able to detox a little bit, make better decisions, and that's what we want, plus the education, plus the, the classes. But talk about what that means to kind of the human psyche as they're starting to think more clearly when it comes to community. Why is yeah. community so important? Well, I think that, what, first of all, they, they find that they're not alone anymore. You mm-hmm. know, And always human beings do better when they have people around them saying, yeah, we can do this. You can do this. Yeah, I did it. See it, look at me, you know, the kind of thing. Um, but also in, in, in this one county anyway in Kentucky, I think this is also what really excited me about this whole idea was that... Um, after they began this experiment, and again, this is an experiment. They didn't know what they were doing. They were stumbling, yeah. and that's fine. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's a good. It's a human being, human nature to stumble and fall and not quit. Yep. You know? Um, but they, and, and as time went on, they kind of made adjustments, and they made it a little bit better and little adjusting the dial a little bit, you know? And then they began to realize, well, it, d- it doesn't matter what we do in jail. If we don't have a continuum of care mm-hmm. on the outside, just like you have in medicine. I've had, I had a heart attack when in 2017, right? So you get the stent and all that, but you get continuum of care too. It's part of medicine. All medicine is to say, we're going to follow up. We're going to make sure you just don't get thrown out there and that's it, you know? And so that was to me uh, uh, an, an example of what I think we need to, to, to do with addiction. And in this county, it starts with that experiment in jail. People began to see, oh, you know, they're trying something new. And the more I learn about it, the more I think that that could be kind of... And so you get people who, who had talents and energy, but weren't using them, weren't, oh, weren't, yeah. weren't employing them. All of a sudden, they come forward and they begin to employ... And all of a sudden, you, get, you leverage all that talent that's out there in the community. And people begin to see, that again, again, over and over, that they're not alone. And so you get this uh, continuum of care. So people leave the jail after, say, six months, nine months in this pod... They're then shuttled over to a nonprofit, not allowed to take the bus mm-hmm. into town where they're going to use again Absolutely. very quickly. Yeah. No, a shuttle, uh, and at this nonprofit, then they're given clothes. They're 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 kind of oriented. They're they they've already in the jail already signed up for Medicaid, mm-hmm. which is another thing that no jail ever did, as far as I know. Uh, we are just to be clear. Okay, that's great. That's good. <laughs> I mean, why? Because that's so important. Because then when you get out. 
you have health 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 yep. insurance, exactly. which you will need because you're you've been damaging your body. You will have once really important. I found is dental. So many people's teeth take a beating on the street, yep. and so you have dental work, and all of a sudden you're smiling, and it's a handsome smile, yeah. and it feels like it's almost like a new person is beginning to emerge, and you can take heart from that. You know, it's a really important thing. I didn't think about it until a, until a social worker explained to me how important dental insurance was to people just leaving. There's a whole lot of things that, that probably too long to explain, but basically you get the university now involved. You get yeah. the, this nonprofit that once was doing a very different job, yeah. totally reorient to say, no, now what we need to do is be all about sh reintegrating these people coming out of this, this jail pod at this jail. What it means is that this jail experiment sparked a continuum of care that's still developing. It's not sure. done. And, and it still has probably problems and, and ways it can be better. But it sparked it because people began to see, actually, this could work. And I want to be a part of something that could work instead of something I'm pretty sure will never work. And you can't let perfection stand in the way of progress. Yeah. We have to progress. We have to be trying different things. 100%. No, I think that's what these folks have have learned, that, that the, the failure is not a problem. Mm -hmm. It's just an opportunity to, to learn and, and do it a little bit better. And the jailer out there be very clear. No, we still, ah, we're not doing this one right yet. And, you know, that's fine. That's good. That's a good thing. That's not a thing to be, you know, railing at or running against politically saying, how aren't they going to come? They're not doing it perfectly. Mm -hmm. No, it's like, okay, we're getting there, we're moving forward. And then you get places where people can use their volunteer effort or their nonprofit effort or the Rotary Club or the chamber or churches can be involved then too, all of this. And then what you also get that is extraordinarily important in all this is you get people leaving addiction into recovery Absolutely. from addiction. And that means you get a new person. Yep. You get a person who's not all about stealing the manhole covers or stripping the copper wire from the latest abandoned house. It's a guy saying, you know, I'm grateful that I'm not dead. Uh, second chance, grateful for that as well. Maybe using uh, uh, his own, you know, energies or creativity in, in some ways. Certainly um, being a better employee, all this kind of stuff. You get a benefit to the community and you multiply that by many people. All of a sudden you feel that. I really do believe in a lot of rural towns all across America that are having a very tough time for many years now. Part of the solution to their resurgence is to find ways of trans transforming people who are addicts into people who are recovering addicts. Absolutely. You know, and I, I've seen, I've seen, cause I've seen people in both sides of that spectrum just sure. through the profession. Right. And, uh, so I've seen people at the height of their addiction and I've seen people in recovery, the same people. And I describe it this way is when you meet, when you've seen both sides of a human being and you meet that person that is in, in recovery, their, their spirit completely changes totally. there's a different countenance absolutely about them. 100%. And, and it's amazing to see actually um, i'm going to back up kind of back up to one thing but i heard you describe i think you use the words police stop where you're dealing with maybe a small amount of drugs and it's really yeah. relevant for this county in western washington, or washington state to be honest with you because there's a segment of uh, our leadership in this state that frowns upon the cops even being involved with that just, just yeah. let them be. It, it, it needs to be. It's not a police problem. It's a different societal issue. Um, I've never believed that myself, but I've never heard it described the way you did this morning. I forget the words you use, but that encounter with the police, even if it's an arrest situation. Oh, it's a, a, to me. If if you're talking again, when if 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 the drugs on the street are 
enormously plentiful, cheap, and extraordinarily potent as we have now with methamphetamine and fentanyl, then that is the blessed encounter. That's, that's the word you, you know. Used. It's yep. like yep. you because you know that those drugs have changed everything. This is the point. Those drugs change everything. Yeah. And one of the things they change is how long you can survive on the street, right? Mm -hmm. And so you need those encounters. The idea, too, that we're only going to deal with the big fish. Oh, we're going to be, yeah, that's good. Absolutely. There's a very important role for law mm -hmm. enforcement in that. But my feeling is that every time you come upon someone who's got a needle or foil of smoking pills or whatever that contain fentanyl, you have to keep in mind that that is not a small thing. Mm -hmm. That's a minor charge, but it is an enormous issue because that person's going to die soon. That person's going to overdose. That overdose, even if that person is revived, is going to create some kind of brain impairment because overdose to an opioid means dep deprivation of oxygen, you know? And without any real time to heal your brain, you're just right back at it, you know? Mm -hmm. All of this, to me, feels like what has changed, what, what these two drugs have changed. The idea that, that police should not be involved at all in, 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 and, that, and that when they arrest somebody who's small fry, clearly a small fry, that they should not do anything about it. First of all, anybody who's, got, who's overdosed, who's got a pill, a needle, a pill, whatever, a uh, 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 foil, whatever, is, is those are enormous red flags for that person. That person's going to be very close to dying. Okay. Number two, though, and very important uh, on another thing, well, we're only going to go after the big fish, the big guys, you know. Well, any journalist knows that if you want to, the big stories all come from the small stories. That's how, you know, it's why it's beat reporting 101. You, you, you focus on this one beat, you ask all the right questions, you learn, you learn, and learn, and then some small thing will feel not right to you. And all of a sudden, you'll, that's, you'll be onto some huge story because you work the small stuff. It's all about the small stuff, in my, in, my, in my opinion. My first book, Dreamland, came, don't probably have time to describe it all, but basically came from me knowing when a, when a, when a, when a cop told me such and such was true, I put it together with a bunch of other things. It was on the smallest scale possible. I realized this is an enormous hmm. story. Eventually, I would never have done that book, which is basically, it's going to be very immodest to say this, but really basically helped awaken the, the entire country to the opioid problem. I would never have done that book had I been only focused on the big guys. No, this comes from the smallest thing. And any journalist knows that. Any cop knows that. That the way you get to really profound, deep, big cases is with the, starting with the small stuff, the small guy, you know? So if you're not going to focus on the small guy, your cases are going to reflect that, it seems to me, because the small leads to the big, not the other way around. And not just in cases, but kind of in, in life and people improving their outlook on life is you have to be it's okay for small incremental success. We yeah. have to have that. As a matter of fact, that's probably the business that, that we should be in. These big picture, big government ideas that come in and want to fix everybody with one idea, I think history has shown it's, it's not working real well. And yeah. we, you know, we, we do this youth program I've talked about. I won't give you all the details now, but the concept behind that was we're probably not going to reach every kid that comes into our youth program. But man, if we reach one or two, isn't that a good thing for yeah. society, for the community? It's the yeah. same with this. Yeah. And I think we have this attitude. I think this got us into the opioid problem. We need magic. We kind of crave 
magic answers. So what's the opioid problem's root? Well, when we decided we want to be, um, we want all pain, Mm. we have cured of all pain, you know? And how are we gonna do that? Well, medicine really doesn't have any other way except for to give us this one pill. And we demanded that and and that's part of what got us into that. Pharmaceutical companies had a whole lot to do with that, doctors and all. But it would, a lot of it came from this idea, no, no, you fix me, doc. And how are you going to fix? Well, one pill for every human, human, human being. And, and to me, this feels um, you know, almost childish sometimes. It's like we, we know that that's not realistic in our own daily lives. We know that that's not real. But you know, it's kind of a, like a, a policy uh, a prescription. We, we embrace it. Because it feels easy and it feels the other ways feel very complex. And also the other ways, you know, there's lots of stumbling. There's lots of failure. There's lots of not quite doing it just right and that kind of thing. And I just think I, I've, I've really moved, I hope anyway, in my own political views away from the idea that we need these big solu- magic solutions. When they don't work in my own daily life, why would they mm-hmm. work in as a policy for the entire uh, society, you yeah. know. So to me, this is this is kind of part of what we're talking about when we're talking about these issues here. Yeah. So we're getting close to kind of wrapping up, but I'm going to ask you to talk about one more thing. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm big on community. I'm big on hope, and I'm a dog right. guy. Okay. And I heard you tell the story. I forget the young man's name that you mentioned this morning. Eric uh, in L.A. Yeah. And uh, can you just tell the community a little bit about that story and how sure. at the end the dog kind of got involved in helping? Yeah. Out? Yeah. And and. Um, my feeling is, again, when it comes to hope, I mean, the jail idea is very much a part of what I think is part of hope. It's this idea that you can create um, community solutions by working in the small ways mm-hmm. and, um, and rethinking uh, institutions that maybe we'd never really thought too much about. I mean, yep. if you don't have someone in jail, why would you ever think about jail? It's always been a cost. Now we think about it as an investment. But the story of Eric Barrera was fascinating because uh, Eric is a... Um, um, a, uh, 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 well, it was at the time I met him, was an outreach, homeless outreach uh, guy for the VA, looking for vets mm. in uh, different encampments, right? And he himself, ex-Marine, he, he was a, a, a former meth user, used for a lot of years. Um, he was the one who first clued me into the idea that the meth had changed right about 2009, and that now meth was no longer like the euphoric drug you constantly partying constantly friends with everybody and that kind of thing all day long all night long instead this drug had now was now probably because just so so damn potent was creating all kinds of very very sinister mental illness meth-induced psychosis symptoms of schizophrenia paranoia hyper delusions all these kinds of things and lasting far beyond the last use um he but um what I began to understand as I got to know Eric, and I met him kind of by chance, and we spent a lot of some time together, is that um, he, he, he got away from dope, and that was good, but he wasn't cl- still not quite clear of the depression mm-hmm. that kind of was why he began using meth in the first place. Sure. Until his uh, sister, his girlfriend's sister, um, spotted a stray pit bull in traffic one day, let the dog into her car, mm-hmm. somehow had the guts to do that. I mean, I'd be a little leery of that, honestly. And took him home, and this dog proved to be actually lovable. Lost, looking for love, looking for people to treat him right, mm-hmm. you know? 
And they were going to put him up for adoption. Eric said, no, why don't I? I'll adopt him or I'll take him and I'll, I'll, I'll train him to be a service dog. And so that's what he, what he did. And, and little by little, what was the amazing part of the story is that little, he named the dog Mundo, mm-hmm. means Spanish. It means world in Spanish, I'm sorry. And, um, and little by little, uh, you know, the dog kind of moved Eric out of his depression. Companion, always had got to be out walking the dog, running with the dog, motion out of the house as medicine, you know. All of this was a beautiful thing. Little by little, he's back in school now. Eric's doing all these different things that are actually very, very healthy outside, outside of the, the house, all because this dog kind of is his solution. It's like a low-tech, small, no pills. Right. No right. antidepressants. Mm-hmm. It's just Mundo, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> mundo is the opposite of this very sinister world that meth had plunged yeah. uh, Eric into, along with his his depression, and he moves beyond that. And that's what I really loved about this story. It's the small things, the small steps mm-hmm. towards a larger goal, not trying to solve everything all at once. In his case, no, again, no pills involved. It was just this kind of connection and the dog made him easier for him to meet other people. People come up, pet him. Everyone wants to know Mundo. He is the most pettable mm-hmm. pit bull I've ever met. You know, I'm really beautiful, big, thick neck. It, just, it struck me as I was writing, damn, he looks just like Eric, man. He's got, <laughs> both of them have this flat top, big, thick neck, you know, muscular dudes mm-hmm. and all this. And yet, as Eric said, we're just, we were, we were both lost looking for love. Mm-hmm. You know, not trying to do anybody any harm, just trying to be loved and, and be around people who like this, you know. And they found each other and they helped each other. They saved Mundo's life, of course, and, and in some ways probably saved, saved Eric's as well. And I use that because that's kind of the idea that I, I think is so important, that these, one of the lessons that this epidemic of addiction and synth- nasty, toxic, crappy synthetic drugs is teaching us is yeah. that these are the kinds of things we need to turn to. Not the big magic answers. It's just that small stuff and being aware that when you're trying the small stuff, things you're going you're gonna to stumble. In your own life, societally, policy, it'll stumble. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Just keep, keep going. Keep trying to find other people to, to, to add their energies and their synergies and their two cents and their expertise and that kind of thing. And eventually you get to a little bit better solution and more possible solutions than you thought, than you had when you thought were possible when you were just on, on your own, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think the good thing about our, our county that we're Snohomish County now is, is I think everybody's heart is in the right place. We are trying to do the right things. Yeah. We might differ on strategies a little bit and that's totally okay. Um, but uh, I've been doing this for almost 27 years now and fentanyl is like nothing I've ever seen in my sure. career. We, we already talked about that. And uh, so... And we're all kind of grasping it. We all want solutions. We're all, we, we're, we try to bring that, right? But uh, I've never heard it explained the way that you explained it some more, this uh-huh. morning. So I just wanted to thank you for coming to Snohomish County. Thank you for agreeing to do this podcast. My um, pleasure. Your insight has actually been incredible in a very short amount of time today. Um, so you really got my wheels turning as Great. the sheriff. I want to go to others in county government and get a plan. Because um, like I said, we're doing some good stuff, but I think we can do better in other areas. Well, keep me in the loop. I'd Absolutely. love to f- see how things turn out. I'm always trying. I'm always fascinated because every every county does it a little bit different, yep. and, and you can all learn from each other, it seems to me. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. My really pleasure, Adam. It. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yep.